Welcome to Living a Sex Positive Life, where we can guarantee the topic will be about sex. We'll talk about the good and the bad, the health and healing benefits, the adventures, the relationships, as well as the crimes and the tragedies. Our mission is to educate, entertain, and just talk about that touchy subject that affects us all, sex. Now here's your host, Angelique Luna. Good evening, everyone. Welcome. I am here with my co-host and hubby, John C. Luna. Hello, everyone. And also, we just like to mention we are... Tongue Twister again, our sponsor, The Woodshed. It is our local neighborhood dungeon who takes care of us and also promotes a lot of the sex-positive education needed in the community. So it's not just the BDSM, but also consent, communication, various different designer relationships. So check them out because they're so gracious to sponsor us. And I know compared to our sponsor, too, who we're having as our conversation host, Dr. Nadine Thornhill, uh, your neighborhood sex educator. Oops, your friendly neighborhood sex educator. (laughs) I always keep forgetting silly things like that. Uh, She is a parenting and educational consultant with a focus on child and adolescent sexuality. If you have questions or need help talking to your family about bodies, relationships, gender, consent, STI, pregnancy, pleasure, sexual diversity, or anything else related to sex and sexuality, she is it. To find out more information about her counseling and classes, check out her website, NadineThornhill.com. Welcome, Nadine. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being on the show. It's like, I love having a diversity of guests on our podcast because we like to talk about everything human sexuality. And you were my favorite due to the fact that you specialize a lot with the parents and their kids and talking about sex and sexuality because oftentimes I see some parents just hiding in the bushes and not wanting to talk about it, but your YouTube videos make it so much fun and comfortable. And I love your cat, just to say. Oh, thank you. Yes, he he likes to make an appearance in the videos whenever possible, and I have a whole whack of b-roll that's just my cat walking past the camera (laughs) constantly back and forth i don't think i've seen that video b-roll on the the youtube channel (laughs) or you haven't released it do like a special just a special video of all like cat outtakes oh yeah definitely it's a (laughs) must cat videos those are very popular gets your word out (laughs) exactly so how did you come up with your neighbor your friendly neighborhood sex educator how did that come about so I was thinking that I wanted, uh, you know, a tagline or a handle that really let people know that um, they were coming into a space that was safe and that was approachable and that sexuality can be something that we can really incorporate, you know, into sort of our everyday uh, parenting styles. And so, you know, just that uh, that phrase, you know, your friendly neighborhood, whatever, and like, it, you know, kind of has that, it's like a, a bit of a throwback to that, you know, community feel that, you know, down home, welcoming sort of, uh, sort of vibe. And so I thought, yeah, okay, you know, you have, you know, your friendly neighborhood butcher and your friendly neighborhood baker. So why not your friendly neighborhood sex educator? I can be that. Oh, definitely. And you do an yeah. amazing job because I love your videos. Oh, thank you so much. I, yeah, I really have a great time, uh, a great time recording them and I'm a I'm a huge YouTube fan and I have been for years and so at some point I was like hey 
why don't I just, you know, start my own channel and start sort of throwing some of the information I have out there um, in a way that's hopefully, again, accessible for people. Um, because as much as I love, you know, doing coaching and consulting and working with people one-on-one, that's not always an option for everybody. And one of the things that I truly believe is that we should all have access to this information, that it's just, it's so important and so helpful in our parenting. It's been so helpful in my parenting. So I want to be able to share as much of it as I possibly can with as many people as I possibly can. Fantastic. And that's why I was like, so extremely grateful when you said yes. I'm like, yay, because this is one of my favorite topics to talk about is parenting and sex education. Because my daughter's a survivor. And just even mentioning the same sentence, child and sex, they put their heads down in the ground. And it's like, no, 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 we don't talk about this. And I'm like, I we should. You know, it, because we, we teach them how to walk. We teach them how to use a toilet. Why not teach them have a healthy sexual relationships or just healthy relationships, period? Absolutely. And I think that being able to really integrate sex education into parenting and raising our children, I think that it has the potential to really transform the way that we relate to sex in our culture. Um, you know, I think so many of the, so much of the fear and so many of the negative feelings that we have around sex, um, when you talk to people, those are ideas that, you know, that, you know, those seeds were planted early in childhood, you know, even something, you know, as seemingly innocuous as just not really talking about sex with mm-hmm. your kids sends them a message about sex and and its value and its and its place and then i think what happens is you wind up with all these people who you know have grown up never talking about sex never being open about sex never communicating about sex um being told that they can't touch certain parts of their bodies um that they you know have to call those parts of their bodies by certain special names because we can't say the word you know vulva or clitoris or testicles or penis and then what happens is that when they start to, you know, engage in actual sexual relationships, they're really lacking in the skills to talk to their partners or think about or express what does or doesn't feel good for them. Um, they don't know how to assert their boundaries. They don't know how to respect other people's boundaries. And so you wind up with a bunch of people for whom sex is just sort of falling on top of each other and crossing their fingers and hoping that it's okay. And sometimes it's really not. Well, often um, we're finding that the the parents who did talk to their children about sex in such an early age end up having more stable relationships and try to avoid a lot of relationships. Those relationships were like, no, sweetie, don't do that. Um, but yet it, it is such um, so much resistance. Uh, I know you're out of Toronto, which is one of my favorite cities. I got to spend the year in Toronto. Uh, oh, right around 2000 and uh, except for the part where it hit like negative 20 degrees it was amazing yeah yeah and and I often say to people well you know that Toronto is a fabulous city because if you come here in the winter because it's an it's like a frozen nightmare but you have such beautiful summers yes our summers are fantastic and you know summer's just happening now and uh i actually spent a, a year living in california and while 
the weather was generally amazing. What I really missed was that period where we shift and go from winter into spring because every year that happens and it's like a miracle. You know, everything is cold and frozen and gray. And then all of a sudden within, you know, a week or two, there are leaves on the trees and there are flowers and the sun comes out and birds come back. And it's just, it's, it's so inspiring. And it's like, how is this possible? Nature is amazing. Um, so yeah, I love it up here. Well, I'm curious um, on how, I know you do a lot of speaking at universities. You also said at, at high school level and I'm sorry, did you, I was reading through even middle school level. Yes. Yes. And yeah. I'm curious because I know our reception down here, it's, 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 well, it's a legal nightmare. We've we'll tried to get in there, and then the parents are even harder to get into. How is it working with children up there um, and talking about sex? Well, it's um, it, it's different depending on where you go. Um, and so, you know, I was I was only in, in the states for for a year, so I am not going to pretend that you know I'm an expert in American culture. Um, but it was interesting, sort of seeing Canada from an American perspective. And I think there's sort of uh, an idea that up here in Canada that we're, you know, ex we're extremely liberal and we're, we're more open about sex, which possibly we are, but it really sort of depends um, where in the country you are. And even within a city like Toronto, where in the city you are. Um, so there are definitely communities that are very receptive to sex education. And um, when you look at sort of education as an institution um, here in Ontario, which is the province where Toronto is located. Um, you know, we just a couple of years ago had um, an overhaul of our health and phys ed curriculum, which includes sex education. And where previously sex education began in fifth grade, um, now sex education begins in first grade. Um, so policy wise, we have some fairly progressive um, ideas around sex education. That having been said, even when those changes were proposed, there were communities, um, even communities within Toronto, where people were very frightened and they were very resistant to this idea of, um, you know, starting sex education earlier. And even when, you know, people like me and, and other experts were talking about benefits of starting sex education early, you definitely did have a lot of parents who were who were scared, who were worried, who didn't understand what that entailed because they heard the word sex and immediately, you know, their minds went to this sort of adult idea of, of sex where, you know, they assumed that it was going to be, you know, pornographic and highly inappropriate for children. Um, but then you had sort of uh, another contingent of people who were defending the curriculum, who were very excited about it, who were saying it's about time. Um, so I find it's really different depending on where I go and what community that I'm, what community I'm speaking to. Um, and I just try as much as I can, no matter what school I'm in, no matter what group I'm speaking to, to try and meet people where they're at mm -hmm. and to understand that, you know, I've been doing this for a really long time. I've been doing this for, for 12 years now. And even before that, you know, I grew up in a household where, you know, my mom gave me a copy of Our Bodies Ourselves when I was 11 and, you know, let me flip through it. And, and the conversations around sexuality were fairly open. And for somebody for whom this is the first time that they've ever thought about talking to their kids about sex, um, 
that can be a really hard thing. Um, and so I try not to go in it with this attitude of like, oh, well, you know, get with the program. But, but yeah, you love your kid. And if all your life you've sort of had this idea that sex is dangerous and scary, it's natural that you're going to have this instinct to try and protect your child from it. And so my job is to, you know, maybe help you see that, no, it doesn't have to be scary and it doesn't have to be bad. And it oftentimes doesn't even have to be about, you know, specifically, you know, sex, like having sex with another person, but it's about all these things around sex that are related to it, like bodies and relationship and emotions and gender and just being a human being that they're all connected. Sorry, that was a super long answer. No, but that was awesome. I'm really glad that uh, even fifth grade, I'm impressed with, but they moved it back to first grade. I know ours. When did when did our daughter get it? I know we gave it to her way ahead of time. Uh, she well because she's a survivor, we kind of like thrust it back onto her just so she could get comfortable <laughs> with her sexuality. But school wise, it was like fifth grade. It was around fifth grade. Yeah, where but they even that, it. they separate the boys and the girls when they gave the yeah. sex ed. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, that, that certainly, that is sort of reminiscent of the sex ed that, that I grew up with in, um, in the eighties and the nineties, that it was, you know, much more, you know, let's segregate people by gender and, you know, woe to you if you were a kid who didn't identify as either a boy or a girl, because, well, um, so I guess they separated us based on our genitals or what they assumed our genitals were. Um, they didn't check. They just assumed. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, our, our assigned at birth gender. And um, I think it was, yeah, fifth or sixth grade, but it was very, very much focused on like puberty and anatomy and okay, gals, you're going to get a period. And by the way, boys ejaculate. And that was kind of, that was it. It was very biological. It still is. And she just took the course again in uh, freshman year of biology. And she was like, Mom, you should have went to teach the class. You know more information. I'm like, (laughs) I can't. (laughs) Because we are very, you know, because of being a survivor, we we have all the books for all the ages there to explain it and explain, like, the emotions, the feelings. And, you know, any of my workshops I give, I always – bring in my my personal three c's communication compromise and consent that's the only way you can make things work you know if you don't have those three nothing's going to function properly in the relationship so absolutely yeah now at one presentation i had i had a hispanic mom who had her own sexual hang-ups that i'm like okay let's try to calm you down before we even try to approach talking to your kid about sex have you had those challenges with parents in regards to their own sexual hang-ups or shames absolutely um i've had it with other parents and if i'm being completely honest i've had it with myself as well um being a parent i realize how watching your kids kind of bump up against like issues or situations that may have been painful for you as a child is it's just it's very powerful and visceral um so yeah I've I've definitely had that where someone is suddenly you know even someone who generally is again very open and like I'm totally on board with educating my child if you bump up against something that was you know traumatic or upsetting or scary for them they get scared for their kids 
because they don't want their kid to feel the same pain that they feel. Um, you know, I remember when my, when my son was a little younger, um, he was, he and another kid were just sort of innocently playing and, you know, doing the, like, I'll show you mine if, you know, you show me yours sort of thing. And, um, I remember I panicked a little bit and I didn't handle the situation well at all, even though, you know, I knew like, this is completely natural and this is something that little kids do and it's not sexual. It's just curiosity and blah, blah, blah. But that's not where my brain went. My brain went right back to me being four years old and being in a similar situation where a babysitter had caught us and screamed at us and shamed us and like separated us. And I had to spend, you know, the rest of that day um, sitting upstairs in the living room with my babysitter and her extremely stern husband while they talked about what a bad, dirty little girl I was. That's where my brain went. And all I could think in that moment as a parent was, oh, I have to protect my kid from that. Oh my gosh. Um, and so with parents, sometimes it is sort of unpacking a little bit of, you know, if someone made you feel badly for this, that was, that was their mistake and not yours. You know, you were just a kid and you're an adult now and it's safe and you don't have to react in that same way with your own child. You can give them a different experience. Um, you can make it okay for them. You have that power now, but it's, it can be tough for sure. Yeah, d uh, just definitely there. It's like, because I'm of Mexican descent. So I see that a lot in the Hispanic and Latin communities, because we're brought up in sexual shame. Don't talk about it. Don't feel about it. You know, you don't do that. You know, I think girls get it harder. Because, you know, don't keep your legs open, be a virgin when you get married. And I'm like, it, it's 2017. Is there such a thing as a virgin? <laughs> I mean, there were... The and even that concept, I mean, I, I, I did a video about, you know, I, it was titled Why I Hate the Word Virginity, which was a little, it was, you know, that was the title. So it was a little harsher than I feel about it. But I, I really don't love that word personally because mm -hmm. I'm also like it's, it's so vague and like, like what even is that and what does it mean? And I, I personally don't like this idea that, your not having had sex is somehow intrinsically tied to your value as a human being. Like, like it's this gold coin. And then when you give it away, you're just not worth as much. I don't, I don't, I don't love that idea. Um, you know, and I, I certainly don't want to tell anyone else how they should perceive their own sexuality or perceive, you know, their first sexual experiences. But yeah, for me personally, I'm like, ugh, that I, that concept doesn't sit well with me. Well, it seems like we need to rename sex education, uh, at least on the books, to a relationship education, and then slip it into the schools in more places. Because, like you said, as, as parents hear sex education, there's that immediate jump back because hmm. they take their own baggage with them. Yes, of, absolutely. And immediately, of course, we're thinking the sex ed we got as a, as a child, which often involves, you know... Shaming. Here's the penis. Here's a vagina. Don't touch those. If you don't have it, don't touch them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. One of one of the an icebreaker that I often do in workshops is um, I write the word vulva on a piece of paper, and then I have 
people just shout out as many different like slang words and swear words and, and like silly words for vulva. I have them do the same with penis. And then I have them do the same with the word arm. And as you can imagine, the vulva page and the penis page are full. Like I will literally get dozens and dozens and dozens of, of words for these body parts. And then arm, I think the most I've ever gotten is five words. And I will point out to people that, you know, when we talk to a child about an arm, we say arm. But we as a culture have developed all of these words to not talk about our genitals. Like, <laughs> we, you know, and some of them are fun and great and like I'm not. Oops. Hello? Nadine? Uh, I think we're having some technical difficulty here. Oh, just in the middle of a good story. Uh, she's still online. Is it ours? Nope. SoundCloud's good. Nadine, we cannot hear you. Let's take a look. She could hear us, but we can't hear her. Okay, hold on. I'm taking a quick look at the... Uh... Nope, we still have SoundCloud here. Uh, let her mute. Let's unmute. No. And... Switchboard okay? Power's on? Uh, I do apologize, audience. This is a first for us. And now we can hear ourselves, but we cannot hear Nadine. So I'm going to go ahead and hang up and call you right back. And we'll just call this Growing Pains. Okay, I think the problem might be on your end, Nadine, because we heard it ringing. That came through. Try the video, see if that might work. Oh, oh, oh. Hello. <laughs> my, uh... We're off mute. You have me on camera, and I can watch you talk. So let's go ahead and just take a look here. Make sure everything looks. Let's switch this. Disabled. Let's just disable and enable stuff. Fun, fun. Never had this happen before. And. and it was a really good story, too. That's what keeps killing me. <laughs> I know. But I think. Let's see. I'm getting. A, I'm running out of buttons to push. So, well, I'm giving her the number to call us. If she doesn't mind doing that. So this is what happens when you go live in your home studio. And all of a sudden something like this happens. And this is out of 22 podcasts. So we're doing well, So I think. And she's calling us, so I will hang up here. And hopefully we'll get an incoming phone call. There you go. Hello. Oh, it's a missed call. Oh. Now Hello? we can hear Hello? you. Yes, yes, now we can Yay. hear you. Yay. Okay. Hi. For all the free service Skype is, we can't expect it to be perfect, but it is pretty good. All right. Well, now I feel special because, you know, I was just the first one with the major snafu. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a great story. That's why. I'm like, I knew it. <laughs> We're going back to the story. We haven't lost that one. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
Um, okay, so yeah, so I was telling the oh yeah, the penis vulva arm story. Um, yeah, so I was just saying like yeah, we we come up with all of these words to avoid saying um, yeah, like penis and clitoris and you know they're they're just body parts. Um, and as adults, again, we imbue them with with all of this this baggage, and we think well, as soon as we start talking about them, we must be talking about fucking. And, well, no, kids don't have that context. They're just parts of their body, like any other parts of their body. Um, and it doesn't have to be a big deal. But that's often where I will start with someone who's really just reticent and lost as to, you know, where to start with sex education. It's like, just use the names of all of their body parts. Like, the way you would just say your face, your leg, your hand, your clitoris. And it, even that just tell the child that, you know, this is, this whole thing is your body. You know, your genitals are part of your body. They're part of you. You own them. There's nothing wrong with them. You don't be ashamed of them. Yeah, you see them in the science book. So it's not like anything we're making it inappropriate. I mean, I always have to laugh at the libraries and states that take away the book. It's perfectly normal. Because they actually show, you know, cartoon anatomy with the correct anatomy parts. And they say, oh, that's obscene. And I'm like, really? A science book is obscene? Gotcha. Exactly. And the, and the children aren't doing anything obscene. They are just standing there naked. And it's such a good book. But, and the other thing I tell people is, like, kids also know that they have genitals. Like, they, they're right there. They can <laughs> feel them and they can see them. Like, they are aware um so like they're, they're not it, it's not voldemort like you you can they are not they who cannot be named <laughs> go harry potter reference yay always <laughs> <laughs> gotta get one of those in there um yeah you know and, it, and it's okay and the other thing that happens is especially in this age of the internet is that withholding information has another consequence for parents today, which is that we live in an era where, you know, most of us have these magical rectangles in our house that when you want to know something, um, you can just turn them on and you can, you know, type in words or talk to a microphone and it will give you information. And when our kids aren't getting information from us, they can very easily go and get it from their devices. And let me tell you, I'm like, you can either tell your kid what a clitoris is for, or you can have them Google it, and what they're going to stumble upon on the internet may be far worse, and likely will be, or I don't want to say worse, but that's not likely going to be appropriate for them. Oh, yeah, read to you. Prime example. Everything you, like, Google, breast, clitoris, you know, I've seen go directly to RedTube. Like, no, that's not the right one. Exactly. Um, you know, there's sort of this, this moral panic around, you know, young people and pornography. But some of the research that's emerging is showing us that while – you know, I, I, I've read, I haven't, I've never been able to find a credible source for it, but you'll often hear the statistics run around that um, now the average age of first exposure to pornography is around 11. Um, but 
especially for kids who are, are like preteen and pre-adolescent and non-high school, a lot of those kids, they're not looking for pornography. They're just looking for information, and pornography is what comes up. They do have the funds to make it one of the first things on the search, so yeah. that's completely understandable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, I would, you know, I, I want to get that message out there as much as possible that, you know, number one, don't, you don't have to, like, freak out about the porn as much as we sometimes do as parents, but also that's a sign that your kids are curious and they have questions. Um, and so wouldn't it be great if you were equipped to answer those questions so that they could come and talk to you or you know if they're like my kid who's absolutely tired of hearing me talk about sex you know go to my office where i have plenty of age-appropriate books that he can pull off the shelf and he can look at um you know that have actual factual information and books like it's perfectly normal and the other Roby harris books which are fantastic where yeah if he's curious about you know what a vulva looks like or what breasts look like you can look in the book that has, again, age-appropriate information around it rather than going and Googling something and winding up on RedTube where he's going to see things that he's not ready for yet. Yeah, because uh, I have one of my friends, uh, she kind of freaks out, you know, about when to talk to her kids because she, her children are three and six and early, uh, what was it, earlier this year, her little one is a Sheldon Cooper. She is super genius smart. And, she, you know, my friend decided to remove the YouTube Kids app. Oh, no, that girl knew how to go into Safari, pull up YouTube, and even taught her, like, older brother how to do it. And I'm like, oh, you're in trouble now. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, that's the other thing, too. Um, I forget who said it, but, but somebody described... You know, uh, people of my generation, you know, and in my 40s and the parent, that we are digital immigrants. You know, we didn't grow up. We have the technology, but we didn't grow up with it. Um, whereas our children, they say, are digital natives. That, mm -hmm. that this, is, this is where they live. Like, they've always been online. I remember my, when my son was two and a half, um, you know, he picked up my iPhone and just instinctively knew how to use one. Like, I never showed it to him, but they it's always been in his life. And so, like, you, you can try and, like, block and, and do things like that, but also know that a lot of kids can find workarounds if they want to. Mm -hmm. um, so, again, the blocking, you know, I think it's, again, to, parents can set up whatever boundaries they want. Um, you know, I have I have websites and, and apps that I'm not comfortable with my son using. I've talked to him about that. But that can't really be a replacement for addressing these issues. Um, and that can't be, you can't say, oh, okay, I'm going to put on like some kind of a blocker on my internet. And now I don't have to talk to my kids about sex until they're teenagers. No, that, it, that, that's not going to work. I mean, even if you lock down every device in your house, as soon as they're at school, other kids have devices. You, you, can't, you can't stop the Internet. You just can't. Well, there's always going to be another source for them to find out about anything if you're not the main source, whether it's the Internet, whether it's friends, whether it's uh, a cell phone. 
Um, or back in our day, um, dad's dirty magazines underneath the bed or in the drawer. Right? Yeah, I remember, I, you know, when when I finally became curious, it's like, I really want to see how human beings actually have sex. Um, my sources were, I would go to the convenience store around the corner because they had porn magazines. And then when I started babysitting, some of the people that I babysat for had satellite TV. <gasps> Ooh. With, right? And so, like, you know, I always wait till the kids went in bed. It was like a good babysitter. But when those kids were sleeping, I was like, hey, there's a channel with human beings having actual intercourse. Let me see how this works. And the problem is, then for a long time, I just thought that that's how sex works. Mm. And that's how sex works maybe for some people. But I did not understand that what I was watching or what I was looking at in magazines is this fantasy version of sex. Um, I, I, I compare porn to car chase movies. Oh, me like, too. I use the Fast and the Furious oh, all the time. Right? Yeah. But I often say to parents, I'm like, here's the difference, though. When your child, you know, at whatever age, watches a car chase scene, they have a context for what real life driving is. They've seen regular cars driving on the regular road every day of their lives. They've probably been in a car. They've probably seen you driving. And so immediately when they go in that movie, they do have some idea that, okay, this is not really how most people drive. But with porn, they usually they don't have that. They don't, they, they've never seen anyone having, or, or they shouldn't have seen anyone having sex. Um, you know, if they don't have any other information around it, then that becomes their normal. And, you know, while as an adult, and like you watch all the porn you want to if you want to, um, I love porn as an adult, but it's not educational. It's not, that's not what sex is for most people. That's not what makes sex enjoyable for a lot of people. And it doesn't, and sex doesn't have to be that. But if that's all they've ever seen and that's all they ever know, they've never known, then they think that that's what it's supposed to be. Well, it, it, it's interesting how, um, unregulated uh, viewing of porn, the undereducated version of porn, has affected our generation. Because I've uh, worked with a girl, and we were talking about how, how porn was, and the basically positions and stuff and other things, and she's like, I, I can't do that because I'm not that skinny. And I, I kind of gave her the look of, what does that have to do with it? And it was, right. well, in all the movies, it, it was basically a sort of athletic, we'll call it, position. But she's like, well, in all the movies of that, you know, the girls who do it are very skinny. I'm like, well, in all the movies, all the girls are very skinny except for the comedians. And they're usually not in porn or they're in there for a moment and they get out as a joke. Um, but this has actually affected her her whole life. And she was in her 30s. When I kind of explained to her, it's, it's you and another person. If you try it, and let's just say you fall on your ass, as long as you don't hurt yourself, who cares? Give it a shot. Go for it. And I was trying, you know, trying to encourage her, and kind of, kind of got through to her. But it, it, it's it's a stigma that hits a lot of people that they do watch this and take it as, oh, this is how sex should be, or they watch uh, Hollywood's version of it, which for us in the '80s was, you know, the candlelight, the bottle of wine, the mm -hmm. fade out, and then they wake up and they're smoking cigarettes, and you're like, what the hell just happened? Or nine and a half weeks. <laughs> Yes. 
And um, Don Sarah, who I know you've, you've interviewed, um, she recently, um, I think it was on, on the Facebook page that she managed, put up this, this great question about, you know, who do we see in our culture as having permission to access pleasure? And I feel like porn tells, especially youth who are, who are impressionable and just learning about sexual relationships, porn gives us this impression that the only people who are allowed to access pleasure are people who are, you know, young adults, people who are thin, people who are able-bodied, people who are conventionally attractive. It tells us that, you know, sex is, is intercourse or, you know, is always going in that direction, that anything around it is just in service to ultimately having intercourse. Um, you know, even for me, it took me years to realize that it was like, I like intercourse sometimes, but a lot of times I'm like, I can take it or leave it. And, you know, that, you know, oral sex and, and hand jobs and spanking and like anything that turns me on can be sex, but it doesn't just have to be, you know, about having a penis inside me. Um, that was hugely liberating, but it took me years to get out of that mindset. Um, I also thought that, oh, I'm a woman, so therefore what I must find sexy is candles and bubble baths and lingerie. And I'm like, well, um, like candles make me nervous because I'm clumsy and I don't want to <laughs> start a fire. And I find lingerie a little bit awkward and itchy a lot of the time. And while I enjoy a bubble bath, they just make me sleepy. <laughs> I don't feel sexy. That's not what turns me on. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. I'm like, if that is what turns you on, like, yes, absolutely. Do you. But there's so much more that sex can be and that it doesn't have to be what we keep seeing in, in movies and in media over and over and over again. Like it, it can really be whatever feels right for you and should be whatever feels good and right for you and whoever else, you know, you're having the sex with. Yeah. As much as we like to bash the 50 shades of gray, it did ignite some kind of fire to millions of millions of people out there to make it, as popular it is so you know as dr yeah. just uh o'reilly always says don't yuck on someone else's yum so right oh, i love jess she's amazing oh i know she's one of my mentors i'm like still fangirling and trying to say i was like can i ask her to be on my podcast i'm still shy <laughs> oh no you totally should like she's she's just the best and she she yeah she would have you know gems to share with your audience so yeah she's amazing Oh, yeah. And very friendly. Definitely. Yeah, we met her a couple years ago there, very briefly, and she was super friendly. She was hosting, uh, a, what do you call it, tougher, it, it was a sex... It was called The X Run. Oh, yes. And uh, I'm not sure what happened after that. We went down there once. It was once. just the one year there. It just had a lot of challenges with the material. But, yeah, she hosted it, and it was it was fun. Sliding down a giant penis as a bubble bath come. Well, okay, I gotta, I gotta put this in context. If you've ever run uh, those like five uh, Ks where they put big inflatable obstacles in your way, and you have to, um, what was that show on TV? Wipeout. Yeah. Where kind of like they oh, knocked yeah. you around. It was that, but everything was adult themed. 
So yeah, you had to jump, climb up and then slide down a slide, and you were basically sliding down the urethra and shooting out a giant penis. And you had to climb your way up and get into the vagina and come out the other side. And it, it was all uh, down in Miami, and, and, and again, lots of challenges. But she had come down, um, and, and as friendly as could be, she was fantastic. Okay, first of all, I need to be part of this the next time that it happened. Um, that sounds incredible. Um, but yes, Jess is as friendly as she as she comes across. Um, you know, when she's hosting and presenting, I actually met her for the first time years ago when I was working at Planned Parenthood in Ottawa, um, and she was pretty instrumental in sort of encouraging me to move forward and keep, you know, pursuing, you know, um, you know, studies in, in sex education and made me see that I could, you know, really turn this into a full-blown career. And she's, she's based out of Toronto as well. And she's just been so supportive of me and, and helpful and, you know, just wonderful. And, and also, you know, like just a really cool friend. Um, and the only thing that makes me sad is she, is she travels a lot, so I don't get to see her face-to-face very often. But, yeah, she's, she's a great person, like really, really nice. Well, I'm so happy she did encourage you because, like I said, I love the work that you're doing here with parents and getting the communications and the videos. So, Oh, thank you. I, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, 20 years ago I would have never seen this for myself, but it's, uh, it's, it's what I love doing. And I also find that I, I learn so much um, from people I work with, and I've learned so many things that have been helpful for me in my own parenting, and um, I'm just, I'm so grateful to have sort of, you know, I'm so grateful that, like, life kind of led me on this path. Um, I really, I've been doing it for about 12 years, and my son is 10, but I really started developing a passion for it when my son was born and that timing was perfect and so as he was growing up and i was you know learning more about sexuality and specifically about you know use of sexuality um it was amazing because i realized that i was really privileged to suddenly have all this information at my fingertips that just made that one aspect of parenting a little less scary and a little less fraught but it was like okay you know the sex talks i can i can do this and it's it's not really like a sex talk it's just raising my child and making sexuality part of it and you know the more i would read books like roby harris and and you know it's perfectly normal was one of the first kids books i saw and i read it and i was blown away i was like oh my gosh you can totally have this conversation with kids like the the language is all appropriate and the information is all there and it's, it's laid out and it's like you know with these beautiful illustrations and Oh my gosh! Like, like, uh, this is what I want to be. I want to be this person. Um, but I was like, I kind of want to be the what would you call it? The facilitator for other parents. So just mm-hmm. like, I want other parents to know what I know. And I think that's very important for them to know what we know. And it's it's not a scary part, you know. It's like yes, sex is part of the physical action, but like you were saying, like emotions and feelings and body parts, that's another important aspect. 
Well, for us as sex educators, it's definitely um, we get a lot of resistance. It's an uphill battle to to do it, and the community, whether in the United States or Canada and internationally, is is very supportive. It's a very great close knit community. But the one thing I would love to call out for is the sex positive parents out there. Educate your friends as well. I mean, we do it. We do the podcast. You do your videos. We try to tell parents, you know, how to do it, but it needs to be more of a societal thing. And I'm hoping it comes out, like I said, you doing the videos, just doing her job, us doing our podcasts and our workshops to try to get other parents out there to start spreading the word as well. Absolutely. And, and I mean, it can be as simple as something like just, you know, hosting, you know, an event or creating a space where other parents can come together and just chat. I find some of the most powerful transformations and work happens, um, say when I'm giving a workshop, at the end when I leave time open for just, you know, conversation and questions. And just having a space where, you know, you can talk to other parents and you can start to say some of these things out loud it's always amazing to me how quickly people settle into having these conversations. Um, and I know that's what was transformative for, for me when I was a young adult, when I found, an, you know, I was in university and I found another group, uh, a group of other students who were willing to be open about sex and talk about it and talk about their experiences and their feelings and, and their fears and, you know, the things that had gone well and the things that they were struggling with. And it was just that feeling of like, oh, all of this stuff that I've been holding inside that I didn't even realize I was holding inside is okay and it's normal and, and, it, and it's real and there's nothing wrong with me for thinking these things or feeling these things or doing these things or not knowing some of these things. Um, and I feel like parents really benefit from that. I really benefit from that as a parent. There's so much pressure put on parents, I think especially mothers of you know, younger children, that you have to do it all right and you can't make any mistakes. And if things aren't going perfectly and if your child is struggling or you don't have all the answers, then you're not a good parent and people carry that around, and especially around sex. It's, oh, my gosh, I don't want to say the wrong thing. What if I traumatize them? Oh, my gosh, like my kid is going through something, and I don't know what to tell them, and what am I going to do? And, ah, uh, like it's just so much emotionally. And so to just, even just have a space that's like you can all talk to each other. And as the sex educator in the room or, you know, this, the sex positive advocate, I'm just here to, you know, answer your questions and reassure you that what you're feeling is normal and that what your child is going through is totally normal. Um, I feel like 90% of my job is just talking to people, asking me questions or saying, oh my gosh, my child did this or is going through this or said this thing and me going, yeah, that's normal. That's okay. And then sure. I'm going like, okay, thank goodness. See, I am very grateful they created that movie, Bad Moms. Have you seen that movie? I haven't, but I remember the trailer, and I was like, okay, yes. Oh, my God. You have to see that movie to understand everything that you just said is what they say in the movie. And it's like, it's true. We're so bad moms. We're not perfect. We don't get this stuff. And it's like meltdown after meltdown. And 
yeah, because I often re- refer it in my workshops. It's like, you know, that's how this movie makes, you know, says that we are, but we're not. We're, we, we might be bad moms, but that's the way it is. We're not perfect. We try our best. We can't do everything else like the rest of the moms and stop comparing ourselves to everybody else because we're not like right. them. Yes. And the, and the thing is, like, even when I, you know, sometimes I, I walk into groups of people who seem like those great moms. And even those great moms have fears and they struggle because they're human beings. Um, you, don't, you don't suddenly become this, you know, flawless goddess because you had a baby. You're still just you. Um, and, like, and I think, yeah, if, if you are trying and you love your child and you're doing your best, you're a great mom and, or great dad or great parent, um, you know, however you identify and the best you can do is the best you can do. Um, and so, yeah, just just keep trying and do your best. And you can't do everything. Um, and not everything is your responsibility either. You know, there, there are certain aspects of life that your kids have to figure out and, and navigate and struggle through. And you kind of are just there to be like, yay, I love you anyway. Good luck with that. Yeah, do your own um, homework. I'm done doing it. <laughs> right? Um, even around sexuality, you know. Like, you, you know, I'll tell parents, I'm like, you don't actually have to have all the answers. And there's a pretty significant component of sexuality. And, like, your kids will have to figure out for themselves. You can't make those choices for them. Um, nor should you. Because you're not them. Um, you know, even things that sometimes treat parents out. Like, I'm like, you can absolutely talk to your kids about, you know, your values, for example, around sexual relationships and what you think are important, you know, elements to have in sexual relationships, whether, you know, you personally feel that, you know, it's important to be in love or you personally feel it's important to have known a person for a certain amount of time. You may personally feel that it's important to wait until you get married to have sex. And, like, your child may have similar values, but they may not. And ultimately, like, you can't decide when your kid wants to have partnered sex or if they want to have partnered sex or who they have partnered sex with. That's, frankly, not your choice. (laughs) Um, It's not because, like, it's not you. It's them. They, They have to figure that out. Oh, only if our kids did what we wanted to, then they wouldn't be kids. Right. And, you know, I can say this super easily because my child is still relatively young, so it's not an issue. You know, I'm like, talk to me in like four or five years and see if I'm still <laughs> about it. We'll see. Oh, um, enjoy. Enjoy it. Because, like I said, the teen years. Oh, that's so. Yeah, because ours is uh, 16. She'll be 17 at the end of the year, but still she feels like 30. I'm like, oh, God. And then let alone the social media aspect there. Now, is Canada laws similar or somewhat to like America laws when it comes to sharing photos, especially inappropriate photos? Because here when our teens or anyone under the age of 18 sends photos to another person, it is considered distributing child pornography if they are inappropriate so, yes. right inappropriate so so here we have um we have some cat we have a similar law but there are some um there are some caveats to that law um because when that law first 
um, sort of came on the books, which I believe it was just they were just using an existing law, which is that in Canada it's illegal to distribute explicit, you know, images of anyone under 18. Um, and when they just applied that to situations on social media, what wound up happening is that, you know, there were there was concern that, you know, teenagers who were consensually sending pictures to each other um, would wind up with criminal records, and we didn't want that to happen. So. Um, it is not illegal in Canada for someone under the age of 18 to send an image of themselves as long as that image was sent consensually. Oh, so, that is yeah, different so, than here. Yeah. So you can send an image of yourself to another person. However, um, we have age of consent laws here. So if you are sending the picture to someone um where the age of consent wouldn't apply, um, then that person can be charged. Um, the person who sent the picture can't be charged. Um, however, sending the picture to someone does not then give that person the right to distribute the image. Mm-hmm. That's a good approach to it. That's a very yeah. good approach. Yeah, to that's it. a much better approach than what we have here in the States here. Because we've dealt with the fact um, in the schools here locally where um, a, a girl has sent a photo out and like literally middle school and then a year or two later all of a sudden it's all over the place and right. that's yeah that's scary well I know and we... that's ha- and that's, yeah that's happened here too that's definitely happened here where you know someone will send a picture to a, to a partner um, or whatnot and then you know either that I, I believe there's a case in British Columbia a few years ago where um, a, a girl had sent a picture, some naked pictures to her boyfriend. Um, they subsequently broke up, and then that boy's next girlfriend found those photos of the ex-girlfriend, um, and she shared them around, I guess because she was angry or jealous or whatever, um, And but she wound up being charged because they weren't her photos, and she didn't have permission to share them. Oh. Um, she wound up being charged with sexual harassment, Um However, the girl, you know, who was in the photo, she wasn't charged because, yeah, under the law, she, she sent them consensually. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, and I, I approve of that law because I really hate the idea of criminalizing someone for their own consensual sexual activity. I, I don't feel like that's an effective deterrent. I think that's a terrible thing to do to someone who may be 14 or 15 or 16, and yet it may not be the wisest decision, mm-hmm. but that, that's, you know, we, most of us, you know, have some gaps when we're trying to figure out our, our sexual relationships and our sexual communication. Um, you know, it, it wasn't on the internet because we didn't have the option of the internet, but like most of us have done some stupid shit sexually because we're young and we didn't know. Yes, um, but we were very lucky social media didn't exist when we were in our 20s and teens. Exactly, exactly. Um, but I think, yeah, trying to criminalize kids for being impulsive and, you know, awkward and maybe a little bit, I don't want to say foolish, but yeah, just kind of no. being young and trying to figure this stuff out is not helpful i don't 
Unfortunately, I do believe it's one of those laws that is technically on the books that way, but it's not enforced uh, only in extreme cases. So it's not like there's yeah. lots. Of, yeah, there's lots of kids. Um, I, I, I know we have a habit of making laws. Uh, we have lots of fun laws. Like, did you know in Texas it's illegal to own more than one personal vib- uh, personal back massager? How they came up with that, I don't know. To, th- to think that if you have two, all of a sudden you start becoming corrupt. But, um, oh my God. yes, yes, we have laws like that, and uh, they're never enforced, but well, they're there. They're just there. Oh, you mean wow. like the uh, Florida state law that is no anal sex in your private home? I, that's a new one for me, no, too. No, it's on the books. It's an old, uh, what is it, blue, bo- blue law book law. Wow. And considering this weekend is gay days here in Orlando. <laughs> oh, that's right. At Disney World, right? All over. It's It used to be just well, the first first Saturday of June, 26 years ago, that that's how they celebrate, you know, the LGBT community. And it just kind of exploded to a week-long celebration all over the city. So. And it's still called Gay Days down here a lot, but mm-hmm. like nationwide, it's now just called Pride. Right. I hear a lot of Amazing. it referenced as that, but it goes all the way out to California, all the way down here, all the way up in New York. But yes, we usually have a good, last I counted, around what, 30,000 more? It's 100,000 people this week. That come wow. down. Mm-hmm. And it is a wonderful time. Uh <laughs> Yeah, we're going to try to run around with our little podcasts and videos and try to get as much of the action as possible. <laughs> oh, that's going to be amazing. Yeah, I, um, I had the chance to, I actually had the chance to march in San Francisco Pride a couple of years ago. And it, it was just, it was the best day. Um, it, yeah, like, I, I felt so incredibly lucky <laughs> to be able to do that. We, um but yeah, Pride, uh, Toronto Pride is, is in June as well. And um, yeah, it's funny, when I, was, when I worked with Planned Parenthood, one of the very first um, tasks I had, I worked with a group of youth, and we were part of um, the local Pride Parade. And it was a Saturday, and so I brought my son and my partner with me. And then a couple, I, I think the next month was Take Back the Night March. And again, I brought my son with me. And so for a long time, he thought that my job was just walking in parade. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, he would just go around talking. He's like, Mommy works at parades. He's like, I wish that were true. Yeah, take your kid to work day is, is there's probably nothing goes on during that day that you actually do. <laughs> Otherwise, they'd be bored no. out of your mind. So. <laughs> like most of what i do is administrative work and i sit at a desk but sometimes i get to be in awesome community events like pride um and take back the night and that's always when he would wind up coming to work with me well i'll bring this bring this around now um we've been going to a couple of uh workshops given by um some uh, groups around here that work with uh, lgbtq plus youth and one of the interesting conversations we have is they have um, not just educational events and like shelter offered uh, and work with living arrangements um, for the youth, uh, but I heard a great conversation where they were considering having a 
parent night to bring in because obviously we're talking a lot tonight about how difficult it is to talk to your kids about sex and how awkward parents can be now throw in the additional fact of the lgbtq uh uh plus t t uh, i got that whole ring wrong that whole factor in there and you're sending some parents into the closet or or just you know making them retreat so the idea Mm -hmm. that some of these groups are actually trying to now do a parent night and trying to do okay your, your your kid is in an alternative lifestyle um how do you talk to your kid about sex with this which is again it's hard to find groups of parents to talk about sex once you go ahead and go in that niche market and it's not really a market but that niche group uh, i'm glad it actually exists and someone besides me is actually thinking about that oh and it's 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 so so important um it's it's important for for the parents to you know have that opportunity i think to you know just be in community with other parents who have, you know, specific concerns around, you know, being a, a gender sexually diverse parent. Um, it's also important for the kids. Um, something that was added into our sex ed curriculum here in Ontario is that starting in grade three, the kids start learning and talking about just, um, it's how do they categorize it? They talk about differences, visible and invisible differences. Um, and so some of the invisible differences that they talk about in class is that, you know, we may not know who our class, who's in our classmates' family, that, you know, some families, you know, some kids have a mom and a dad. Some kids have just a mom, just a dad. Some kids have, you know, two moms or two dads or three parents or a step-parent or they may have a non-binary parent or a genderqueer parent. Um, and that's really important. It's important for, for, you know, all families to be visible and to be validated because they're all real families. Um, you know, as you know, cisgender heterosexual parents get validated all the time. And we validate them in children's stories and children's movies and children's television. Um, it kind of drives me bananas when people are like, you can't talk about, you know, <laughs> you can't talk about gay parents or, you know, trans parents to kids because they're just kids. Like, we talk about sexual orientation with kids all the time. As soon as you open up a storybook and there's a mom and a dad and a baby, that's a heterosexual relationship. It's, and it's fine. You know, we're not talking again. We're not talking about how mom and dad are having sex. But we're talking about the fact that mom and dad live together and they love each other and they made a family. So absolutely, you know, have that for queer parents as well because um, they're they are also real families. I think that's amazing. Yeah, and that's why I'm so grateful with Corey Silverberg creating his book series because oh. how, how to make a baby, it's like, hey, it's just about sperm and an egg and that's it. That's how you make a baby. Yeah. And the sex is a funny word. Love it because it actually gives parents homework. You got to read the questions after you read the chapter. And yeah, the book is not a one-time sitting. It's like you just gradually go through it depending on the sets. And I love his books because all the characters are different colors. You can't tell mm-hmm. genders either. And, it, you no. know. Oh, it's so, sex is a funny word is probably my favorite 
sex education book for kids ever. I, I, well, it's funny because the, um, his publisher sent me a copy and it came in the mail and, and, uh, you know, I was coming home from, from picking my son up from school. I opened it and just the cover and the title was so enticing to my son that like he grabbed it and took it and I couldn't get it back from him. <laughs> so I actually still wound up having to go, I had to go to the bookstore and like buy another copy because <laughs> my son who was eight and a half at the time, I think on one of the first pages, one of those, those four characters that they saw in the book was also eight and a half. And my son was like, Oh my gosh, this is about me. This book is about me. This is incredible. Um, he loves that book. He reads it all the time. It's so, and it, and again, like it just tackles these issues that a lot of people assume are adult in these very approachable, very like child appropriate ways. Um, so I will tell people like, I'm like, you as the adult need to read this book because it will give you the language to have these conversations with your kid. If you read this book, you will know what words to use. You will know how to like sort of distill this down to its essence and then share the information with your kids and it won't be scary and it'll be fine. And like, you will love it. What's scary about a cartoon book? That's the part I always question with parents. It's like, come on, we all grew up with Bugs Bunny and Looney Tunes. When is the last time that we've seen a transgender bunny sing opera? Come on. Right? We see it all the time. And I'm like, and I'm like, if you're not scared, your kid won't be scared. Our kids sort of pick up on how you react to things. And so if 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 you're treating the subject like it's scary and dangerous, like it's a bomb that's about to go off and like blow your life apart, then yeah, it's gonna be scary for your kid if you can approach it and be like hey, you know, this is a thing, it's sexuality, it's a lot of different pieces, and it's, it's normal, and it's natural, and it's fine, um, then your kid won't be scared. Um, and again, you don't have to be, like, perfect about it, you know. Even, again, with me, I often, my son will ask me questions, and it'll throw me off, or I'll have an awkward moment. I'm like, it's also okay to say, like, huh, I'm not sure, or, wow, I feel kind of, weird about that but you can still say it in a way where you know you're not freaking out about it you're just like all right this is an awkward moment okay but awkward moments don't have to be the end of the world um they're just they're just a thing that happens sex is sex and sexuality are just it's just all part of the human experience it's okay and it's okay to talk to your kids about it Oh, yeah, definitely. As I always put the disclaimer at the beginning of all my presentations, it's like kids could smell fear. So if you're oh oozing God. fear, they're going to smell it. So, And it's okay to tell them, it's like, look, I don't know, but I'll find someone and get you the right information. I mean, two oh, simple disclaimers. Totally. That's it. And you're, you're set. You're golden. And you're like the perfect parent according to the kid's eye because you're human. You're not perfect. Exactly. Exactly. And then they don't feel like they have to be perfect either. Um, I think one of the, like one of the best things that can happen if you're having a conversation about sex and you're feeling awkward is to be open about it. Um, because I think of like so many teenagers who, again, like going back to what I was saying at the beginning, 
when they're in a sexual relationship and just kind of like, you know, start doing stuff to their partner without talking about it because they're desperately trying to avoid, you know, the awkwardness of being like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing or, hey, what do you like? Or, hey, this is what I like. Um, but if we can be honest about the fact that, yeah, sometimes awkwardness is part of all of this. Um, sometimes we don't know what we're doing. That's normal and okay, and we can get past it, and it won't destroy you. That can really help youth as they're growing up and navigating their own sexual communication. Be like, okay, if it's awkward, I'm just going to be honest about the fact that this is a little awkward, and we'll figure it out. It'll be okay. That's very true because then that way they already know about consent. They know how to communicate and they know how to compromise. That That's the building blocks of a great relationship, you know? But right. I got to say, right. those those awkward moments may not end. They I'm in my 40s and occasionally it's, well, we tried something new and that didn't work out. <laughs> that didn't work out. I, yeah, but it's, absolutely. Like I, it, it happens, yeah. But it's good it humanizes you to your child to say, okay, even even you know the person you idolize, your parent, is trying new stuff, and they don't have it perfect. So I shouldn't have it perfect first try, and I shouldn't be nervous uh, about you know not knowing I can ask. And when it happens, it doesn't have to be perfect. Exactly, exactly. It's it's it really is it really is a, a process, and it's and, and it's going to be different different times with different people, and even with the same people. Like I've been with my partner for over 20 years now and wow congratulations thank you no he's he's fabulous but you know even that because you know our bodies change and our lives change and our and our context changes yeah there are you know there are times when like it's popping and we're clicking and we're on the same page and then there are times when we're not and it gets a little awkward and it's like hey that thing that we used to do it's not so much doing it for me anymore. And that is an awkward conversation to have sometimes. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, what do you want? I'm not sure. Let's try some stuff. And like you said, sometimes you try some stuff and it's like, well, that did not work at all. Hmm. Yes. Ah, darn, the slow-mo movie action did not happen. <laughs> right? Um, it was like, okay, wow. That's... And, and it's still... You know, even though it's, like, the person I know better than anyone in the world. I'm like, it, well, it's still, like, this naked thing that went awry. So I'm feeling a little self-conscious about that. Um, hmm. But, you know, you, you move on and it's okay. Well, our time is up, Nadine. Thank you for all the wonderful information, the laugh, the tears, all that. <laughs> How can our audience find you? Um, excuse me. Um, so I am all over social media because I, I would like to be a millennial, even though I'm not at all. Um, so uh, I am uh, on YouTube, Nadine Thornhill. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Nadine Thornhill. Twitter, at Nadine Thornhill. Instagram, at Nadine Thornhill. Um, you can email me, info at NadineThornhill.com. And uh, you can visit my website, NadineThornhill.com. I'm just my name on the internet. Like, just Google Nadine Thornhill, and it's, it's all there. 
Yep, her YouTube is the first thing that pops up. Definitely check out her website because even her blog has it broken down to the various different topics, age categories to talk about. So it's a great resources for everybody there. I can be found everywhere on social media as Miss Angelique Luna. You can find the podcast on our website at livingasexpositivelife.com. And you can find me at John C. Luna on both Twitter and Facebook now. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a good night. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.